Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get back to the show, I just want to say how much we have loved bringing you shows like Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches or the new Earth Rangers Underground podcast. And especially the new episodes in the Six Minutes feed, the ones about the Cyrus Lost Tapes. And this is when I need to say a big thank you to all our GZM subscribers. Your support makes independent audio like this possible. If you're not a GZM subscriber yet, right now is the time to join for ad-free listening, early access, and more. Show your support and learn more at gzmshows.com slash subscribers. Help us bring you more great shows by becoming a subscriber today. And thank you. Hi, I'm Jonathan Messenger, and thank you for listening to the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian. I'm here today with my robot, Bebop. Hey, Bebop. Hello, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here. And we've been getting a lot of questions in from listeners about Bebop, so I thought, you know, we'd take this moment to ask you a few of those. Is that okay with you? Of course. You know, you seem kind of subdued today, Bebop. Are you feeling okay? Usually you're interrupting me or trying to talk over me. Well, I understand this is a sort of town hall event. People are going to be asking me questions. And with the election coming up, I want to appear presidential. Yeah, but you're not running for president, Bebop. You're just answering some questions. Um... Wait, do you think you're running for president? Jonathan, this great country of ours needs a leader. Hold on. Do you even know what country you're talking about? That's not important right now, Jonathan. What's important is that this country is so special. All right. (laughs) Step down from the podium, please. And let's get to the questions. Dana, who's five years old and lives in Wisconsin, asks, what is your favorite animal? I don't eat animals. As I made perfectly clear, I am an artivore, strictly art diet. My opponent will have you believe that I eat. Okay, you don't have an opponent, Bebop. And I think she means, what's your favorite animal to, like, admire or learn about? Not to eat. Oh, easy. Zebra. Well, why a zebra? Because it looks like a horse that somebody has painted. All right, that's fair. Okay, here's another one. This one is from Oliver, who's nine and lives in Overland Park, Kansas. He asks, Bebop, if you could eat one thing that wasn't art, what would you eat? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't really like to think about such things. But I'd have to say crayons. Or paint. Or a warm, gently used printed cartridge. Something like that. And finally, this is from Crystal, who is seven from Chicago. And she asks, do robots shave? No, of course not. We don't have any hair. But I will tell you that as president, I will shave your tax dollars. What? Shave our tax dollars? Yes, I will shave the hard-earned money of this great country. Does that mean you're going to raise or lower taxes? Uh, I don't really know. The people on TV are always talking about shaving money, so I thought... It's not shaving money. It's saving money. Saving. It means spending money carefully or holding on to it. It has nothing to do with shaving at all. Well, I've made money shaving part of my platform to be president of this country that we live in. Some of you probably don't because you can get this podcast anywhere in the world. So I'll be president of your country too. If this doesn't work out, just email me, Bob, for president. Okay, that is not 
That's not a real email address. Sorry it's so hard to get a straight answer out of this guy. Let's just get back to our story. If you remember, in last week's episode, the Explorer's troop had traveled some 34 stomachs deep into the living planet Saffrite's belly. And they were just about to get to the prison where Olivia and Olivia's parents were being held when a spider came down and said that he would eat them if they did not solve a riddle. And the spider grew really impatient and grabbed Elias before they could solve anything. And we were depending on all of you to solve that riddle. Did you come through? Let's find out. So without further ado, let's get into the next episode of The Alien Adventures of Fint Caspian, Episode 11, Who Am I? Elias dangled from the ceiling as the spider wrapped webbing around and around his arms and legs while his friends tried to climb up to save him. Foggy dropped Voltronics and flew up, but the spider warned him, Stay right there, shiny man. Or I'll eat this one for an amuse-boosh. What did he just call me? said Elias, who could hardly move now. He was wound so tight, almost as though he were in a cocoon. Wait, said Abigail. You said that if we can solve your riddle, you'll let us go. I did say that, but no one has solved the riddle. Say goodbye to your tasty friend. It's the what was that? said Finn. I don't know, said Vale. Sounds like a cow. No, wait, said Finn. Listen. It's moon. They're saying moon. That's the answer to the riddle. Disappear when you see gold, the sun, and millions of years but a month old. The moon resets every month. That's it, isn't it? The moon. Yes, you got it, said the spider. So we can go through now, said Abigail? Sure, the rest of you can go. Wait, said Abigail. What do you mean the rest of us? Well, I think it's only fair if I eat this one. I already have Burrito Boy all wrapped up here. Actually, Vale said, quickly taking out one of his arrows and aiming it at the spider. His nickname isn't Burrito Boy. It's Sugar Dumpling. He let his bow go and the arrow flew up. But of course, it couldn't cut the web. Instead, it got caught in the webbing just beneath the spider's stomach, the arrow's feathers brushing up against the spider's chin. The spider laughed at the tickling arrow, and its pincers accidentally snipped the thread Elias was hanging from, and he fell gently to the floor, bouncing and rolling off the various webs strung across his stomach. Oh, no, you don't, said the spider, who chased Elias down. But Foggy jumped between them, facing off with the spider. The spider began clacking its pincers again, but Foggy just held his ground as the spider's jaws couldn't do anything to his metal body. What is this? It's like eating a tin can. I beg your pardon. But the spider had already turned and run back up its webs into whatever nook in the ceiling of the stomach it made its home. It took some time to break Elias free from his cocoon, and when they did, the spacesuit had a sort of purple glue all over it. Come on, give me a hug, Elias yelled as the troop and the twins followed the light into the final and 35th stomach. The last stomach of Saffrite looked a lot like her first stomach. It was small with a round ceiling and had the same floors and walls that seemed to be made out of porous rock. Except all of those little pores, those little nooks and grooves, were sparkling, catching the amber light of a giant, opaque ball in the center of the room. The crystal prison. It was magnificent. Sure, they were standing at an impenetrable prison in the 35th stomach of a giant alien, and they were all covered in spit, sweat, and who knows what else. But there was something serenely beautiful about the scene. Mom? Dad? 
The twins approached the ball, though it was nearly impossible to see inside of it. Are you guys there? There was no answer. Maybe they can't hear you, said Abigail, putting one hand on Olivia's wing. Foggy approached. No matter what, we have to think of a way to get this thing out of here. But how are we going to get it out? Foggy knocked on the ball. Violet walked up to the ball. It doesn't look like it's even going to fit through the door. What was that? Olivia and Olivia put their claws to the crystal and scratched. It is them. It has to be our parents. The troops surrounded the crystal ball and began pounding on the glass. And from inside, they heard more and more scratching. Okay, said Abigail. So how do we get it out? Vale is right that the door in does not look big enough to serve as a door out. Well, said Vale, I hate to say it, but don't stomachs usually have a way in and a way out? They all said. Look, there's got to be a way, said Abigail. And it starts with that spider's lair. We're going to have to clear the webs out if we're going to get the ball through there. How are we going to do that? Those webs are stronger than any of us. I have an idea, said Valet. Come on. He handed arrows to everyone in the group. I bet if I could tickle that spider again... Said a voice coming from the darkened door. Didn't your parents ever tell you it's not polite to tickle? The spider came into the 35th stomach. Only this time, he wasn't alone. He was followed by the little mouths from the 4th stomach and a group of tiny, fiery creatures. You're not welcome in here. Isn't that right, citizens of Sanfright's stomach? The creatures all nodded, except the Miles who all said, <laughs> We just want this crystal ball, said Abigail, and then we'll be out of your way. Who are the red hot guys? asked Vale, staring at the little flaming figures who stood no taller than their ankles. How how? We are the lava denizens of stomach number three. We were practicing our backstroke when you came stomping through our home, and you didn't even notice. Whoa, said Valet. Sorry, little dudes. Who are you calling little? Yelled one of the lava creatures and shot a flaming arrow at Valet, who moved just in time. I bet sorry, big fella. Congratulations on making it to the final stomach, said the spider. But this is the end of the line for you, too. The spider jumped toward the friends, who ran around the other side of the prison to avoid its claws. The little lava creatures shot fire at the troop, but Olivia and Olivia spread their wings to protect them. Wait, you're fireproof? said Finn. Of course, we are proof against many things. The little mouths came up and started biting the twins' toes. Ouch! Except for tiny sharp teeth! Elias ran up to Foggy and whispered something in his ear. The robot nodded and slung Elias onto his back, the two flying out of the room. Hey, said Valet, some friends. He pulled out his bow and aimed it at the spider. Oh, what are you going to do? Tickle me again? The spider shot out a lasso of webbing, but Valet let his arrow fly, hooking the web and sinking it into one of the nooks in the stomach ceiling. The spider went flying with it and was left dangling high above the action. I meant to do that, yelled Valet. Olivia, Olivia, yelled Finn. Do you know how your parents were imprisoned? Saffrite ate our planet, and our parents sent us away. Yeah, but how did they get into the prison, I mean? If it's impenetrable, how did they get in? That is a good question. Let us think about that. The twins bowed their head to think, and their wings drooped, which meant the little lava creatures were able to rush past them. How-how! The fire munchkins shot fireballs at the explorers, who had to dance around to the other side of the crystal ball. Things were looking bleak for the explorers. The spider was swinging up towards Vale's arrow, almost able to snip himself free. The little fire creatures were now scattered around the room, chasing the explorers. The twins did their best to block the fire, but the little miles kept biting at them any time they came near the ground. 
Just then, Elias and Foggy came flying back into the room. Where have you guys been? said Vale, dodging another little mouth. Listen, all those little lava guys gave me an idea. So I went to talk to the seventh brain, said Elias. The stomach began rumbling. What did you do? asked Abigail. I just talked to the brain. You know, about what was in his stomach. And how it was maybe giving Saffrite a little heartburn. Uh-oh. I think I know where this is going, said Finn. Yep, said Elias. I think that fire is all she needs to... Um... Shoot us out of here, said Abigail. You know this is going to be really unpleasant, right? The rumbling grew louder and louder. Finn scooped up some of the purple goop off Elias' spacesuit and slapped it on Vale's chest. Hey, what did you do that for? Give that crystal ball a hug, Finn said. And he did the same for each of the explorers, and they all used the spider's glue to stick themselves to the prison just as... The crystal ball shot out of the 35th stomach and through the spider's webs. It rocketed through each stomach in turn, past the supercomputer, the decaying planets, up Saffrite's throat and into her mouth, the twins flying right behind. There was a narrow gap in her teeth and the ball rolled right for it. The troop stuck and rolling right along with it. Saffrite brought her teeth down on the ball. Everyone let go! Yelled Finn. And all five members of the Explorer's Troop 301 dove out of Saffrite's mouth. The planet's teeth chopped down on the prison, cracking it, and then exploding it like a grape. The prisoners inside flying out free. The scene outside Saffrite's mouth looked like the end of the strangest war ever fought. The explorers and Foggy were all covered in the purple goo. Dozens of dragon creatures that looked just like Olivia and Olivia lay all around, knocked out from the trip out of Saffrite's stomach or from years in a crystal prison. The glass shards lay strewn all over the ground, still faintly glowing in the shadow of Saffrite's eye. A few lava creatures had been ejected too, and they were angrily trying to fry anyone they saw. But the saliva they'd picked up on the way out of Saffrite's mouth had doused their flames. Hello! Mom! Dad! The twins found their parents, and the four of them hugged and even began to cry a little bit. Wait a second, said Foggy. Not that I mind, but where's Voltronic Zoo? It dawned on the whole team that they had forgotten the other robot who still lay sleeping in the spider's webs. We have to go back for him, said Finn. I know, I know that he can be annoying, and I know he's not that much help, but he's one of ours, and we never leave one of ours behind. But I think we have other problems right now. While the troop had been in Saffrite's stomach, the army of antibody ants had organized itself and was now marching toward the explorers, hurling insults again. Look at these two-legged weirdos. It's a wonder they don't tip right over. Why are they all purple now? Was there an accident? Finger painting class? The explorers backed up against Saffrite's lips, but the rousing dragon creatures, Olivia and Olivia's family, began to stand up straight and form a protective wall around the explorers. The ants attacked and the twins' family fought them off as best they could, but there were so many of them, and the aliens were weak from being imprisoned for so long. So you're telling me that we traveled through 35 alien stomachs, and we got out of there, and now we have to fight again? said Abigail, scurrying around the ground. Vale reached down to one of the lava creatures scurrying around on the ground, still trying to get a spark going. He picked him up. Sorry to do this, little buddy, he said, and he lifted a piece of web still clinging to Eliza's spacesuit and tied the little creature to an arrow. Oh no! What are you doing? This can't be good. Vale rubbed the creature on his spacesuit to dry it off, but with the ants still quickly approaching, he put the arrow in his bow and let it fly. No! Yelled the lava creature as it soared over the dragon aliens toward the antibody ants. And just after the arrow hit its peak, 
Something in the wind and the friction of the arrow ignited a spark on the lava creature, who lit up like a firework and dove toward the ants. Ho -ho! As the ants scattered to get away from the fire. Great idea, Vale, yelled Finn. He picked up a waterlogged lava creature in his hand, rubbed it against his chest to dry it off, and wound up and threw it to the antibody ants. Not a great idea. Everyone in the troop started doing the same thing, toweling off a lava creature and then throwing them at the antibody ants. A voice rang out. Everyone knew immediately it was Saffrites. Nobody moved. Please do not throw any more of those fire creatures. They have a very specific place to be in my body and shouldn't be on my skin like that. No one said anything because, well, how do you answer that? Lava creatures, please return to your rightful stomach. Antibody ants, please leave these guests alone. They have released a marble that has given me a stomachache for years and do not deserve to be attacked. <coughs> Excuse me? They do not deserve to be attacked. <coughs> Pardon me? One second. <coughs> 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 Saffrite had coughed up Voltronic Sue. I believe that's all of you, yes? Thank you for your help in dislodging that marble, but you have mixed up my stomach something awful, and I'm going to have an uncomfortable night now for sure. So please, return to your ship and be on your way. The eye of Saffrite shut, and the planet felt dark, cold, almost lonely without it. The antibody ants marched slowly away, still hurling insults, though the explorers couldn't hear them anymore. Voltronics, who was awake now, seemed to be operating with a damaged navigational system. He was crawling around all over the ground, occasionally tipping over. Oh, I'm ready to. Let's get the fight off. Olivia and Olivia approached the thank troops. Thank you so much for all of your assistance, Marlow Explorer friends. And thank you, Finn, for trusting and believing in us, even though we surprised you by turning into human-eating monsters. Yeah, about that human-eating thing, said Vale. Never mind, Marlow friends. There is something more important for you to see. Please, follow us. The explorers followed Olivia and Olivia, who walked over to where a small pile of their alien family was still waking up from their time in the prison. Our parents told us about this, and we thought immediately that you must know. The twins picked up two of their kind and moved them gently to the side. There, lying on the ground, was an adult man. A human! And not only was it an adult man, he was wearing a space helmet just like the troops. And he was wearing a spacesuit just like the troops, and he had a badge on his chest just like the troops, only his was torn in half. The man's eyes blinked and he began to try to sit up. He turned and faced Finn and the explorers. A long gray and brown beard filled up the bottom of his space helmet. He was red-eyed and bleary and didn't seem to know where he was. Who are you? he asked. We're Explorers Troop 301 from the Marlow 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station, said Abigail. And who are you? The man looked panicked looking around at the aliens and the robots and then back at the kids' faces. What's your name? said Finn. The man looked Finn in the eye and said, Honestly, I have no idea. All right, I'm here with my editor, Griffin. Say hello, Griffin. <laughs> so what did you think of that episode, Griff? Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> do you, honest, honest question, do you think you'll ever go above pretty good? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so do you have any questions about the episode? Um, what were those little lava guys? Alright, do you remember in the last episode where they kind of went through a stomach with bubbling lava? Yeah. Those bubbles were those guys breathing as they were doing the backstroke. So they live in that lava. 
Oh. <laughs> and so that's why they're uh, they were a little mad because they felt like the the explorers entered their stomach without permission. Did you like those guys? <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have any other questions? Uh, what was the explorers troop member doing there? Oh, the guy who was in the prison. You mean who was uh, asleep when they found him? Yeah. Oh, actually, there's a really good answer to that. You'll find out in the next episode of the Alien Adventures of <laughs> Caspian. Uh, well, so far in the story, we've uh, found a badge that was kind of rusty. At that was in the uh, on the patient's planet. I remember that. Yes. So maybe those things are related. Oh. And that uh, that alone is a spoiler. What I just said. <laughs> so let's get it. let's uh, let's stop talking about that right now. Okay, let's start, let's start talking more about it. <laughs> Instead, let's move on and we're going to talk about our jokes. Let's talk about our jokes. Okay, so our jokes this week are from a brother and sister team from Oak Park, Illinois, Greta and Gabriel. First up is Gabriel's joke, and here's Gabriel now. What is an alien's favorite drink at 7-Eleven? A goo raspberry Slurpee. (laughs) (laughs) So Gabriel is six years old, and up next is Greta, who is four years old. Why did Mickey Mouse go to outer space? I don't know. Why did Mickey Mouse go to outer space? Because he was looking for Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's time to look at our Bebop food for the week. Some really cool art that came in that Bebop will enjoy eating quite a bit. So let's look at it before he chows down on it. First up is from Bennett from San Antonio, Texas. Bennett is eight years old, and he drew this really cool picture of what he thinks the Bobs look like. Do you see that, Griff? Yes. That's pretty cool, right? Yes. It's got like a, a big big head and then right on top of the big head is a little tiny head that almost looks like a piece of candy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Thank you for that, Bennett. Bennett also sent a joke in. So here's Bennett's joke. What do you call a flying fruit? Uh, I don't know. An unidentified flying orange. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Bennett, for that art. And I know that Bebop loved it. And then up next... We have art from Natasha, a 10-year-old from Chicago. Her art is called Alien in Disguise, and this thing could be hanging in a museum. You should go to fincaspian.com, where we have all of our art posted. Check that out. You know, I'm sort of tempted to send it to the Art Institute of Chicago rather than let Bebop eat it. But I feel like Bebop's going to dine out on it pretty soon. What do you think? Yep. Before you can say it to the Art Institute. (laughs) All right, I think that's probably the note we're going to end on. So, Griff, thanks so much for talking with me today. You're welcome. Can you say goodbye? Bye, bye, bye. All right. Thanks, buddy. Once again, thank you all so much for listening and sending in your jokes, your ideas, your bebop food. Remember to go to fincaspian.com where you'll see his reviews of each piece of art as if it were a meal. Special shout out to Gabriel and Greta from Oak Park for their jokes and to Bennett from San Antonio and Natasha from Chicago for their bebop food. And Bennett, thanks for your joke as well. Keep all that stuff coming in. An extra special shout out to all the listeners who solved last episode's riddle, including Brogan from Chicago, Mauer and Leaf from San Diego, Devin from Oakland, and Finn from Melbourne, Australia, who can probably see the moon right now as I'm speaking, which is pretty cool. Next time, I'm going to have to make the riddle a little bit harder. 
I also want to say thanks so much for bearing with me with this episode. Griffin's younger brother delivered to me some sort of alien virus, and I have a stuffy nose that will not quit. The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian is a type drawer media production, written and produced by Jonathan Messenger, edited and guided by Griffin Messenger, with special thanks to Maria Villanueva. The theme music you hear at the beginning and end of every show is by Mark Greenberg, recently voted the nicest human on Tuesdays. Huh, not bad. For more information about the music, the art, everything about the show, check out the show notes. And thanks again for your jokes, your art, your ideas, and for playing along with the riddle. And also thanks so much to everybody who has left such kind reviews on iTunes for us. Really, really appreciate that. It's really fun to read them and see how you're listening to the show. So I really, really appreciate that. Keep those coming and we will see you next week. And remember, vote for me, Bob. Hey, parents and teachers, have you heard about gzmclassroom.com? It's a website where teachers can get companion resources for everyone's favorite GZM shows. Six Minutes, Mars Patel, Podcast Title Pending, Seis Minutos, The Res, Becoming Mother Nature, Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, Treasure Island 2020, The Hollow, Young Ben Franklin, and The Big Fib all have companion resources for additional critical thinking, listening comprehension, and ultimately creativity. We made them just for you. And oh yeah, they're free. Free! The people on Facebook didn't believe us, but they are F-R-E-E free. Head to gzmclassroom.com and get yours today. Hey, it's Jess. Did you know that GZM Shows has a YouTube channel? Right now, all of Six Minutes, Becoming Mother Nature, GZM Beats, and Cupid and the Reaper are up. And they're in these, like, beautiful playlists. They have this fun audio waveform visual. And best of all, you can turn on captions. And the captions have character names. Anyway, subscribe to GZM Shows on YouTube. Maybe there'll be some cool things in the future, like live streams, interviews, behind the scenes. We'll see. GZM Shows on YouTube.